0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Knowledgeable and Novice. Addison here, sitting in some beautiful sunshine, ready to talk to you all about a concept that is incredibly important when it comes to our trauma-informed practice, to our classroom pedagogy, and all of the things that we do as teachers and educators. And that is the topic of teacher regulation. But before I begin, I just want to say I have gotten a lot of requests from you incredible students, and I've had people, many of you actually, reach out to me and say, can you keep doing the podcast? And so while I am so flattered and I, I love it so much, and I'm I'm viewing this as a way to continue connecting with you once our course ends Um I do. I just have some additional things that I want to talk about that I want to explore and dive into and hopefully maybe that you'll come back to at certain points in the year when you need, like with this one, when you're feeling particularly down and you need just some strategies or some ideas or some validation that what you're going through is real and hard. And um, so let's get into it. We have talked a lot in class about this idea that teachers are part of the compassion career field right? We are essentially wired as humans to connect, but I think as teachers specifically, one of our biggest roles is to love and care for the children that enter our classrooms. And so because teachers are working with students who are often chronically stressed, trauma affected, we are learning a lot now about what how that impacts the educator in the classroom, the adult, the fully formed brain in the room, as I like to joke about when it comes to, working with, serving, supporting students who have been impacted by trauma. So there is this concept in the trauma literature called secondary traumatic stress. So we know about post-traumatic stress, which is something that an individual experiences. But actually, there is something else also called secondary traumatic stress, which is the symptoms of exhaustion, hypervigilance, numbing. And it often is experienced by professionals who are working in highly empathetic careers. Now, interestingly, those who experience secondary traumatic stress are, as I said, more empathetic in nature. They're usually working with high numbers of people who are trauma affected in their lives. And uh, many times they are women. So if you think about that, this sounds a lot like the population of educators, of teachers, right? Sounds a lot like a classroom teacher. Now, secondary traumatic stress is not to be confused with another term called vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma is the emotional residue of exposure that anyone in a compassion career, nurses, social workers, teachers, counselors, therapists have from working with people as they or we hear about trauma stories, and as we become witnesses to the pain, the fear, the stress response that trauma survivors have endured. And so with vicarious trauma, there is a disruption, essentially, in, to schema in five areas. Our safety, our trust, our esteem, our sense of control, and our sense of intimacy. So again, as I said, professionals who are at risk for also vicarious trauma in the same way that secondary tra- uh, traumatic stress is um, related are empathetic and female, have a lot of trauma affected people in their lives. And maybe it's professionals who might have unresolved histories of traumas themselves. Maybe as a child, there was a school-based trauma or a medical trauma or um, you know something related to, you know one of the types of trauma that NCTSN is exploring kind of lists on their website. So those who have experienced or have trauma histories themselves, kind of that unresolved trauma, maybe that that we're not even aware of, that we forgot about, that we haven't really dealt with, or maybe we have dealt with it. Um, All of those types of people are at an increased risk for vicarious trauma. So with this, there are some very tangible effects that that start to become evident to teachers or to people who are experiencing this kind of vicarious trauma. You can start to notice some differences. So I'm gonna go through the differences now. I also wanna add that I have added um, a Google folder on our Google Drive, on our shared resources, um, Google Drive, and they have a lot of PDFs and documents. There's actually like a little mini workbook in there for you to, uh, if it's easier for you to read some of this, to comprehend, or even to print it out and work through it, if this is something that would be helpful for you. Um, I also want to add a little disclaimer that all of the publications and all of the things being referenced, of course, were studied and published and, and put out before the pandemic. And so while we are experiencing high levels of vicarious trauma and secondary traumatic stress. We know less about what is happening right now with respect to distance learning and um, trauma responses and things like that. So let's talk about the effects on teachers. What might it look, sound, and feel like if you are experiencing vicarious trauma? So you might have some physical symptoms, maybe feeling low energy, fatigued during the day in the classroom. Um, For me, I have experienced this. I've lived this firsthand in uh, several different forms and times in the classroom. But um, for me, it was having constant upset stomach, feeling nauseated, might have difficulty sleeping because of constant worrying maybe about a student, about a family, about a situation, but that disrupted sleep pattern can definitely be a physical symptom of some of this um, vicarious trauma. With respect to the emotional domain, um, we might feel numb, develop anxiety, feel guilt about not being able to do enough for our students or our parents. Maybe we feel powerless or just totally overwhelmed. In the cognitive domain, uh, we actually might have some diminished concentration. Like if you're noticing that it's hard for you to maintain or attend to something, for a certain period of time. Maybe it's affecting your ability to teach for an entire day or difficulty with decision-making. Actually, that one is um, really interesting in the way that it presents of, you know, small decisions from what do you wanna have for dinner to big decisions like what grade level should you teach? The decision-making becomes more challenging. Might also experience decreased self-esteem, some self-doubt and blaming others is kind of the cognitive pieces. With respect to the interpersonal domain, the um, aspects that could present as symptoms might be becoming physically withdrawn or emotionally unavailable from coworkers, peers, friends, family. Maybe experiencing some isolation, wanting to be alone, wanting to isolate from friends, family, becoming impatient, becoming intolerant for students or situations. Actually, the impatience was the very first thing for me. I'm traditionally a very patient person. And I I started noticing in myself in one of my particularly tough school years that I was growing incredibly impatient with students. And I I had to pause and kind of have that metacognitive like thinking about my thinking of like, what is, what is going on here? What? Why am I so impatient in this moment? Why is this situation upsetting me? Why am I growing impatient when I maybe wouldn't have had the scenario happened three months ago? And that was kind of my initial sign, that warning sign of, oh, wow, I, I potentially am experiencing some of this. And then on a professional level, we might start to exhibit low performance, like slacking off on certain responsibilities, not putting in our best effort. Maybe there's low morale at school. Maybe it affects relationships with other faculty. And the other piece is it could result in a changed view of ourselves, of others, and the world around us. So Laura Dernut Lipsky has an incredible book called Trauma Stewardship, and she has 16 warning signs in addition to these kind of vicarious trauma signs of the different domains that I want to read through. So at any point after we are consistently working with and supporting and caring for and having empathy towards our students who are likely experiencing a trauma of one, you know, one or more as the literature tells us, but also in a global pandemic, we're all experiencing a collective trauma. There are some warning signs for us, some 16 ways that we can pause and ask ourselves, oh, wow, I, I might be having an exposure response. I might be, I might be internalizing something. I might want to check out, you know, just pause and check in with myself. And then I'll share some examples of things that maybe we can do to help buffer those effects. But here are her 16. So feeling helpless and hopeless a sense that one can never do enough, this like nagging feeling that it's just you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you're not putting in enough effort, you're not expending enough energy, hypervigilance, scanning constantly, diminished creativity, inability to embrace complexity, minimizing whether that's emotions, workloads, tasks, relationships, Chronic exhaustion, physical ailments, which we talked a little bit about, the fatigue, the changes in eating habits, disrupted sleeping patterns, inability to listen, deliberate avoidance, dissociative moments where you actually kind of just tap out and you have to turn your brain off and you can't even really be present. Sense of uh, persecution, you know, being blamed. You feel as though you're being blamed. Guilt, fear, anger. Cynicism. Um, cynicism is an interesting one just in reflecting out loud for myself. I feel like sometimes that's a sign for me as well. If I'm becoming incredibly cynical, I need to kind of pause and check in. Inability to empathize, which could also be uh, look like numbing, feeling really numb. Addiction um, and grandiosity, that inflated sense of importance related to one's work, that being a teacher is the most important thing and we have to give it all in. And I think all of these are you know, related, they're definitely correlated, they're definitely interconnected, like that grandiosity, this inflated sense of purpose might be tied to this sense that we can never do enough, to this, um, you know, guilt and fear, to this, I mean, it's all, they're all really tied in. So ultimately with these pieces, all of these things together or one element of them together can lead to what the literature knows as teacher burnout. And I'm sure in other courses, you will talk about and study burnout, um, but oftentimes this is what leads teachers to ultimately leaving the field. So we we really are not paying attention enough, in my opinion, to what is happening with the adults when it comes to trauma-affected students and trauma-informed practice. One study actually looked at New Orleans teachers and students right after Hurricane Katrina, and it found that the students received a lot of trauma-informed practice, a lot of social support, a lot of coping, a lot of resources, and that on the teacher side, there were massive unmet needs that that were never addressed and that they just kind of assumed that adults, again, with that fully functioning brain, were going to be able to kind of work through it themselves and that they really should focus on the students. and. And the result of that was Five years after Katrina, when an oil spill happened locally, teachers and administrators started developing and exhibiting signs of PTSD themselves, of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is even beyond vicarious trauma or secondary traumatic stress because those needs of the educators were not met. So I think fostering resilient learners does a really good job about talking about self-care, checking on ourselves, really being in tune with ourselves. But we now know from a diagnostic standpoint and from a psychological standpoint, psychopathology standpoint that it is incredibly important for us to be paying attention to what is happening with teachers right like with those in the field who are you know working with students every day and supporting them and it just it, it can't be said enough that we have to care for ourselves and we have to um you know just be aware and and systemically we need to be supporting teachers in their role as well so let's talk a little bit about what we can do there are in fact ways to combat these negative effects these social behavioral cognitive interpersonal professional spiritual or financially all these things there are ways to mitigate avert prevent combat some of the effects that some of those responses that we might be exhibiting and experiencing The very first thing that I mentioned a little bit is really, really important for us to train ourselves to see the signs. We need to recognize that it's happening in us, right? Like as soon as I noticed that my stomach started hurting a couple of days in a row and it wasn't associated with, you know, the flu or food poisoning, I started kind of just observing and noticing in myself like, hmm, my stomach hurts again today. Okay, that's interesting. I'm gonna make a note of that. I'm gonna check back in with myself at the end of the school day. We have to name it, we have to recognize it and validate what's happening. So, if anything on the list that I read to you previously resonated with you, you have to really, we have to name and say, this is happening, this is real, and it's important, and it's okay. It is okay that our bodies and our brains are responding this way. It is okay that this is how we are reacting in response to caring and loving for and showing empathy and compassion for these students and their families and our communities and our life. The second thing we really have to do, and we talked about this in class, and I, I will forever talk about it, is to take care of ourselves. I mean, mentally if we are privileged to have the resources to go to therapy whether that is virtual sessions for free whether that is utilizing a sliding scale as we talked about and having a counselor work with you on the pricing options you know our our self care is our our mental self care our intellectual self care is as important as our physical self care i mean i argue that they go hand in hand we have to make sure that our mental state is prepared to work with our students we Have to regulate our brains and bodies. And I love this quote that says, A dysregulated brain cannot regulate another brain. So if we are dysregulated, if we are not regulated ourselves, how on earth are we going to help our students get to a regulated point? It just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. So there's a lot of research on this idea that typical teacher education does not include mental health education and training. And so because of that, this is often the result then is that teachers are left feeling somewhat ill-prepared to manage students with high needs, to manage students with severe trauma exposure, and to manage their own trauma and their own stress and their own mental health issues themselves. So we have to take care of ourselves. We have to be aware of it. We have to recognize the patterns. We, we have to just kind of continually be, again, metacognitively checking in on ourselves, thinking about our thinking, thinking about our brain, thinking about our body. Physically, we can try to exercise, we can develop proper eating habits, get enough sleep, try to play a sport, depending on what that looks like in quarantine. Intellectually, there are great ways to develop. So finding ways to continue to learn and grow. For me, I've shared this before, but it was about really digging into the trauma literature, to learning about trauma, to understanding the impact of my trauma on me, but also the impact of trauma on students. But whatever it is, Intellectual self-care is very real. And we, as we've talked about in class, we develop self-efficacy when we learn and grow and master something ourselves. So whether it is a professional learning course or a book or developing something new, any way that we can continue to learn it, learn is a good way to kind of mitigate and buffer the effects. The third suggestion is to find your people. So maintain relationships with friends. Connect socially, show up for virtual events, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to. Call on friends when you start to notice some of these effects showing up, whether they are peers at your school, colleagues that you trust, you know, having that one person that can kind of be your teacher bestie. I I have one and I talk to her. And it is like, it's a game changer when it comes to just having a person understand not only the work of being a teacher, but the stress and the struggle that accompany it emotionally. And then the last thing is, um, again, just considering kind of some additional learning or training. There was a study going back to the intellectual piece about it sampled teachers in an area that had a lot of trauma affected students. And it found that when they were explicitly trained on coping skills development, when they were trained on personal and classroom safety When they were trained on uh, empowering themselves, that those teachers were ended up having lower levels of vicarious trauma and secondary traumatic stress, and that they were much more um, fulfilled and happy and able to maintain, you know, kind of healthy mental health states in the classroom. So as we kind of think about this and reflect on on what this means for ourselves, you know, I I talked in class about the domains of self-care and what that looks like and how it's not just, you know, bubble baths and getting pedicures and taking a day off or, you know, going to the spa whatever it is. Sometimes those elements of self-care are things that aren't very fun, but that allow us to be a little less stressed. Maybe it's organizing a a cabinet. Maybe it's, you know, budgeting for the month. Maybe it's, you know, setting boundaries with those in your life that maybe aren't as healthy to you. Maybe it's spending time connecting with someone who really does bring you a lot of joy and comfort and, and social interaction. Like so many of these pieces are are have to be included in how we train ourselves as teachers, but also how we continue to care for ourselves, you know teaching is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, you know, I think about marathon runners who train and like at mile 25, they're still employing the same strategies that they were doing at mile one. And that has to be true. Like we, we can develop those things as as early career teachers, as newer teachers, and then carry those out so that we can stay the course, so that we can continue working in these places that are sometimes really hard and stressful and, and challenging. Challenging. So, you know, we know that trauma and chronic stress are real. We know that the effects that they have on teachers are just as real. So as a community of educators, we really have to start having more honest conversations about our own mental health in order to prevent some of these trauma exposure responses. Um, so we need to see the signs. We have to take care of ourselves. We'll find our people and we will continue to learn and grow. Um, And that's what I have for you on on, on really just paying attention to teacher regulation, because in addition to the student piece, it has to be included. I'm going to end here. I have a couple more podcast ideas, but in class, if you have things that... You'd like me to explore further that you want me to explain um, that you want me to talk through. If you want more tangible resources, if you want bigger picture things, I'm here. I'm I'm ready. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, so we'll we'll talk more. But I hope you have an incredible rest of your day. Thanks so much for tuning in.